This podcast is supported by Merge. Planning on adding integrations to your product in 2024? Merge can help. Merge's API allows your developers to integrate once to offer hundreds of product integrations across key software categories. Merge maintains your integrations for you and provides tooling to make it easy for your customer success team to manage your integrations without engineering. Go to merge.dev slash hardfork to learn more about Merge and to get $5,000 off your choice of an annual plan. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. This week, Elon Musk struck a deal to buy Twitter for roughly $44 billion. Musk was already influential on Twitter. Now he'll own it. And the clever, controversial, and outspoken billionaire, whom, by the way, I know well, will be right in the center of a very public battle about the future of, quote, free speech. I want to discuss how this will play out with some fellow Twitterati. My guests today include Casey Newton, the tech journalist behind the platformer's Substack who knows all about social networks. William Cohen, founding partner at the new media platform Puck, who's an expert on deal-making in Wall Street. And Anand Girgadas, publisher of the Inc. newsletter and author of Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. That speaks for itself. We taped this conversation live appropriately using Twitter Spaces. So let's start. Casey, how you doing? Uh, well, aside from my cold, I'm doing okay. It's been, uh, I would say, one of the bigger weeks in tech news of the year. Yes, you say, I Karen? would. And explain why. Why don't you go, go, why don't you fill everybody in on what's happened? Yeah, well, my, my guess is that uh, most folks here know the basic story. Um, you know, just three weeks ago, Elon Musk bought 9% of Twitter and said he was going to be a passive investor. And uh, now he's well on his way to owning the company. Uh, yesterday, Twitter said that it had accepted his offer to buy the company for $44 billion. He put an extremely complicated deal involving uh, some of his Tesla stock, borrowing some money um, and some other things. And now in the next three to six months, the deal is expected to close and Elon Musk will own uh, this app where we all spend so much time. All right. So let's very quickly, before we get to to Bill, who's going to explain this all for us, talk about how he managed to do this, because some of the issues are around finances. Um, he seemed to prove he had finances, but he put a Tesla at great leverage, which Bill will talk about in a second. But he he did that. He proved he had it. What shifted the Twitter board over? No other offers, presumably, correct? That was the big thing. I mean, I think when we look back at this acquisition in a few years, we'll just note how weak a company Twitter was in this particular moment. I think that Elon was really smart about when he went after it. They had a new CEO who nobody really knew, had only been on the job for you know, three months or so, the stock price was way down from its highs. There was a sort of broader slump in the tech stock market. And Elon was able to convince them that they weren't going to get a better offer anytime soon. Right. And they weren't. And they weren't, in fact. And why and why was that from your perspective? Well, I think, you know, Twitter has a lot of problems. Nobody's really been able to crack the code of that business over the past 15 years. They have a ho-hum ad business and some other um you know, irons in the fire, but but otherwise, uh, they they just have not been able to realize much of the the cultural value that they create, and so that paved the way for someone to come in and and just buy it uh, and take it out out of the public market. Okay, all right, uh, uh, William, come on in. Yes. How you doing? Great. This is, this is 
Bill Cohen, he works for Puck, who I, I read him every week. I read lots of the Puck News stuff. I love it. Um, so uh, tell us about, you were on the money about this. One of the things I, I, I had jokingly said, it's low ball, but not that low ball, meaning I thought there would be other buyers and that this was a bargain given what an enormous uh, influential platform this was, even though it was a crappy business. So talk us through how, why you thought that and where you think the situation is now. Well, look, I never thought there was going to be uh, another bidder. Uh, you know, if you look at any of the uh, likely sources, the people who have the kind of cash that, you know, would be needed, the $44 billion in cash, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. there are definitely people who have that cash. Apple has that cash. Google has that cash. I think maybe even, you know, your friends at Meta have that cash. Microsoft mm-hmm. probably even has that cash after doing the Activision deal. But, you know, it's so far off their sort of insular worlds that they've created that, you know, why would they want to spend $44 billion and then inherit uh, the various problems that, you know, Casey was talking about that Twitter has? I mean, first of all, it, it barely makes any money. I mean, if you, if, you, right. if, you, if you look at, you know, what they reported last year in their public filings, they made, you know, what, $55 million of EBITDA. Okay. And they'll say, well, we had a one-time charge for a legal settlement. Okay. Let's add that back, Kara, even though I cannot stand add backs. That's one of my largest mm-hmm. peeves. But so that's like 800, you know, say, call it 850 million of EBITDA. And then a couple of years, a year before that, they did 950 of EBITDA and, and even like 900. So it's been making eight to 900 of EBITDA. Let's be generous and say a billion. It's going to make a billion of EBITDA this year. I think they're predicting like a billion too. Whatever. That's still 44 times EBITDA. That is a huge number for Mm -hmm. any kind of leverage acquisitions. Even in the crazy leverage acquisition environment that we have been in lately, you know, if a buyout firm pays 11 or 12 times for EBITDA, which to me is nosebleed territory, that's high, okay? Mm-hmm. But 44 times EBITDA, I just knew there was no no private equity guy was going to touch it, no hedge fund was going to touch it, no sovereign wealth fund was going to touch it, and none of the people who could write that check were going to touch it. So number one is, you know, no other bidders, okay? Mm-hmm. Number two was, did Elon have the financing? And, 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 you know, a lot of people thought there'd be no way that he was kind of like, goofing around because he's elon Mm -hmm. but then he comes up with the financing with morgan stanley and all of the banks and even though there are still some holes in it basically you know 21 billion dollars of equity and by the way uh kara i was just perusing the merger agreement before we got on here yeah uh, which was just Just perusing it you were just just perusing perusing because that's what you know Perusing. perusing and uh basically elon can walk away from this deal for a billion dollars that's a new Mm -hmm. piece of information if the financing doesn't come through, if he decides he doesn't want to put up $21 billion in equity, or more importantly, as we might get to, if the Tesla stock continues its plunge, we will get to that. Yeah. Then he can just pay a billion dollars and walk away. So, right. uh, number two, he came up with the financing. And number three, the job of Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase and Allen and Company was to provide for the te- uh, Twitter board of directors a fairness opinion saying this was fair. Well, Guess what? At $44, 44 times EBITDA, no matter how you slice this, all in cash, it was fair. It was fair from the moment 
he made the offer. So no other buyers. His financing's in place. It's fair. It's a game, set, match. Over. Okay. So so when you think about it this way, let's talk a little bit about the financing. Casey, jump in here if you'd like and just about the product, because I think that's a really important area. But let me ask you a quick question about the financing. Um, he is he is basically getting loans, right? Is that correct? A giant loan based on his assets. Um, he, what else is not not we're not seeing? Okay, he's got twenty five and a half. Well, he's written what he says he's going to do. Okay, let's see what happens. He can walk away for a billion dollars. A very important mm-hmm. fact. He says he's going to get twenty five and a half billion dollars of debt. Okay, mm-hmm. then the remaining portion of the financing is is. 21 billion of equity that Elon is going to come up with. Now, mm-hmm. he hasn't said how he's going to come up with it other than representing in the merger agreements that he has the money. Now, mm-hmm. we all know that he doesn't have that kind of cash lying around because if he did, right. Elizabeth Warren would have his hook, her hooks into him for the tax mm-hmm. payments. So we know right. that he likes to margin his Tesla stock. And that means he's right. probably going to margin this. So that's, you know, 60 plus billion of marge of stock that he's had to put up to get these right. these loans. So he's this is the big bet of his life. He's bet this not is only big... his Tesla stock, but his tw- Twitter. He's bet everything. Yeah. He's bet everything. I'm not sure why exactly, but at the moment it seems like he's bet everything and the Tesla stock fell 12% today. Not All right. do, do we know do we know what what else he so like what did he margin the rest of that stock? What what is he borrowing for? Do we know? I don't know, but I could, I could, I could guess, Casey. I mean, he's he, he's funded SpaceX somehow. He's he's funded Boring Company somehow. Now I know he just raised more money for Boring Company uh, at a higher valuation. So I don't know what is he. I mean, does he have a lifestyle? The jets and you know wives and kids and uh, homes. Yeah, he's I mean, not as bad he, he mostly doesn't he's he mostly sleep in the daddy. office. Yeah. He does. He does indeed. He does. But, but he has expenses. Sleeping on a beanbag chair. True, but he's 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 somewhere somewhere between that yeah. and I don't know Larry Ellison. Um, so um, which is a, a big distance. Um, and he has rich friends also. So let's talk a little bit about what that does. You just said Tesla stock went down today. Um, someone well, jokingly tweeted, "What a good day for Apple to announce his car." For example, uh, which it's allegedly been working on. Uh, talk a little bit about that, because everything does depend on this elevated Tesla stock, which many feel is large, but have been have you know they've been a lot of people, including my uh, pivot partner Scott Galloway, have been ha- had their ships crashed on the shores of people thinking Tesla's overvalued. So talk a little bit about that and the risks there. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean Tesla has been. Uh, a, a phenomenon, right? I mean, uh, uh, it's it's defied every prediction of being overvalued, of collapse, etc. You know, it's a trillion dollar company, a trillion one, I think, the other day. But basically, today it was down a hundred billion of value. You know, like it was down, you know, one Netflix today. Yeah, one uh, Netflix. I was just gonna say one Netflix. One Netflix. <laughs> you know, one Scaramucci down. Uh, right. Uh, so. Uh, you know, this is a potentially serious problem, depending a very serious problem yeah. for, for, for Elon, depending on how much uh, stock he has margined, right? And you know, mm-hmm. if it's if it's just you know the sixty billion, 
or so that one would expect to have him to have margined to provide the equity and the margin loan for the Twitter deal. That's bad enough because that's like 45% of his stock. And if the Tesla stock goes down 40%, then the margin loans start getting called without him being able to do anything about it. In other words, they the bank sees the collateral, which is the Tesla stock, and they begin selling it into the market and beginning begin a death spiral for Tesla. Now that's if it's only 60 billion of margin. If it's if it's this 150 billion that he's margin, then he's really bet everything, everything or most everything, because I guess he's got a hundred billion dollars of value aside from Tesla, because he's worth what 250, and that's only 150. You know, he's bet. You know, basically, his he both of these companies will be have been bet on this acquisition of Twitter, which is. You know, kind of crazy when you think about it. So um, a, a question then about, I guess, the, the Tesla fundamentals, Bill. Like, um, I, I understand a lot of folks have said it's overvalued for a while. Uh, and I don't know if you have these, you know, stats at your fingertips. But, you know, to what extent is its present value based on how many cars we might expect it to sell? And realistically, what might happen in the next six months that could cause its stock price to go down another 40%? Well, I mean, I think... Look, I think it didn't it just report again. I don't have these numbers exactly at my fingertips. I'm not a Tesla expert, although I'm certainly someone who believes that Tesla is widely overvalued. But I believe it just reported a very good first quarter of the year, like real profits and you know gaining momentum. I think, look, as a car company, as a company that is producing cars, electric cars that people want, I think Tesla is definitely doing that and continuing to do that. And meeting the promise uh, of of what Elon Musk uh, has been talking about for a while. That's not why the stock went down today. It, it, it went down today because the market is figuring out or trying to figure out what he's done, what he's margined. You know, when your largest shareholder and your CEO, you know, has margin loans that might be called at some point in your company. And by the way, how the board of Tesla let him do this is something that I cannot fathom. And they're supposed to be fiduciaries to all shareholders, not just uh, Elon Musk. And so uh, uh, how they let him do this, I have, I have no idea. And uh, I think you know that's why the stock is having trouble right now, because the market is figuring out just what the heck Elon has pledged to try to get this Twitter deal done. Explain what why why did the board let him do this for people who don't understand? Um, I think you let's not talk about it in shorthand. What does that mean? What have they let him do? Well, I, I don't I don't know why they let him do it, but what they apparently have let him do is margin his, in other words, pledge his stock, his Tesla stock, his whatever it is, one hundred and seventy five million shares, one hundred seventy three million shares of Tesla stock that he owns two banks as collateral for the loans. So you get 50% of uh, the value, loan to value. So to get $30 billion that he needs for Twitter, his equity plus that margin loan, to get that $30 billion, he had to put up $60 billion for the stock. And so I assume that he had to talk to his board at Tesla about this when you're largest shareholder and your CEO is entering into this massive uh, uh, margin loan, 
uh, I would think that the board would have to either know about it or approve it uh, because uh, if those margin loans, because the Tesla stock starts falling, get called and that uh, collateral gets seized, which is the stock, and sold into the market, regardless of the price, then that's going to drive down the price of Tesla stock rapidly. You know, and so well, this is not a board trade. that this is not a board that has control, controlled him very much, as I recall. I don't think this board has controlled him at all. I mean, this is a board that let him get away with buying Solar City. This is a and board that tweeting. Uh, tweeted, you know, tweeting 420 funding secured if they knew about it. But, you know, mm-hmm. so so no, this is not a board uh, that is controlling him, but a board's job is to control situations yeah. like this. Yeah, not happening here. So let's talk a little bit about the business going forward. Casey, I'd love you to give sort of an overview on the products of Twitter. One of the things that has been apparent is how uh, how non-innovative Twitter has been over the years compared to, say, uh, TikTok, uh, stuff on Instagram. Obviously, Facebook has grown well past it. Uh, can you give us sort of what's been happening there? Yeah. So, um, you know, as you note, the product has evolved fairly slowly, although I would argue they've probably changed more uh, for the better over the past 18 months than at any point in the past five years. So that is part of what makes the timing, I think, sort of unfortunate uh, for the some of the, the current uh, Twitter employees who are there. Um, but, you know, it, the, the core product, as you note, hasn't changed all that much. Um, Spaces is probably the biggest and most successful update that they've made to it. Um, but I think the real lack of innovation was on the business side, right? They've, they've had this extremely mediocre ads business. They'd only recently started to experiment with subscriptions and it just left them really vulnerable um, because even though it feels like one of the most important apps in the world, um, it just wasn't uh, generating the, the revenue that would um, essentially justify it being on the public market. And what about, what? why is that from your perspective? What And, and Bill, you can jump in in a second, but why has that company allowed itself, given it had lots of the great ideas, by the way, they were there with yeah. Periscope, they had all kinds of things going on, Vine. Um, everybody else took advantage of them. They missed the purchase yeah. of Instagram, as you well know, um, that yeah. they were there for, um, full of innovative <laughs> ideas, but never realized. So, yeah. you know, everyone thinks it's a, it's a company that has never realized its potential. Is that true from your perspective? And and. Bill, I'd love your perspective on that. It it is, and, and let's name names. Like Jack Dorsey ran this company for a long time, and he mismanaged it. He was a part time CEO who uh, put a lot of roadblocks up in front of product teams, prevented a lot of stuff from shipping, kept everyone guessing as to what he actually wanted, and so the product just kind of lurched along. Um, and it was really only over the past year and a half, as I think he. Uh, began to spend less time at the company and focused on his religion of Bitcoin, that we started to see Twitter start to make some meaningful product improvements. So I really do think that Twitter has been a case of corporate mismanagement almost from the start. But he had just blamed the board recently and in fact did an unusual mm-hmm. series of tweets at Elon. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the board uh, definitely has a, a lot to answer for. And, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, court intrigue and backstabbing over the years there as well. But yeah, from the board to the C-suite, there's just been a lot of dysfunction at Twitter. All right, Bill, what do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, the the, the only thing I would add um, to what Casey said is, is 
that you know th- 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 this baby was almost you know snuffed out in the in the crib i mean the, the the birth of it right i mean the the original group of people running it there was sort of feuding among the original founders of, of the company going back to the beginning and then you know i, I think it's uh unless frankly you're elon musk i'm not exactly sure how he does it but i think generally speaking to to have a ceo who is also ceo of another company square now called block i guess that uh is worth more and uh he's more excited about uh and has spent more of his time uh, devoted to this being jack dorsey uh, that is not a good look you know frankly I, I don't know how, you know, Elon, I mean, I assume he's not going to run a Twitter, but I mean, I guess he could because, you know, nobody can tell him what he can't do or what he can do. But for Jack Dorsey to, as Casey was saying, you know, uh, not only be a, a Bitcoin devotee, uh, but, you know, facial hair devotee, uh, running block, run, running Twitter, not that well. I think that's not good for a company let alone a public company with a profile like Twitter's. I also think that you know, Twitter always thought of itself as, you know, being, you know, it's kind of smug, I think, in the thing, how great it is. I mean, it, you know, mm-hmm. journalists talk about it all the time. It's always in the media, you know. Uh, you know, when Trump was on it, it was like every 10 seconds we were talking about this thing. So I'm sure there must have been a feeling inside Twitter that, hey, we're fantastic. Whatever we're doing is fabulous. We've got the president of the United States, you know, making news all the time uh, on mm-hmm. our platform and everybody's talking about it constantly. We're not doing everything great. Of course we are. So I think I think hubris must be uh, part of this as well. I mean, and I, and I think it's just it doesn't have the scale of other. I mean, if it, if it weren't for the journalists who are obsessed about it and, and politicians they, and, and, and politicians and, and the politicians at the fringes of our political spectrum who are obsessed about it, uh, I think uh, it would have had to come up as a long time ago. Okay. So talk about, so the it's not big enough. It's still too small. So how do you assess, first, Casey, what he's going to, what he should do with this? Is this an un, you know, an unpolished jewel that no one's cared for, a, you know, a, a sort of a, a, a lost child? Uh, and by the way, Bill, I was there for the beginning and I can tell Isn't you. Isn't that right? Crazy. Crazy, right? You'd have to. It was. There was another company, actually, if, as you recall, and then they forced. They were always forcing someone out. I felt like I was in the middle of a of a telenovela most of the time, and it, but it wasn't an interesting one. Um, but it was. It was really quite emotional. It was the most emotional company in Silicon Valley. As meanwhile, over at Facebook, they were, you know, sharpening their knives almost every day. Um, so Casey, is there, is there promise here? What is the most promising parts of this company? And then Bill, I'd like to know what you think of that because Elon's wealth is going to depend on it. Casey? So this is the $44 billion question. You know, I was talking to some former Twitter executives yesterday. Um, there's been some talk that Elon might want to get Twitter out of the ads business. And someone was saying to me, you know, Twitter didn't get into the ads business because it loved ads. It got into that business because that was the easiest or that was the way to make yeah. it the most money. Um, so if he wants to step away from that, you don't have that many other obvious options. You have some sort of subscriptions product. Um, although, you know, there's a reason that social networks don't usually charge subscriptions. You want to get the maximum number of people using them. Um, and then there there could be some kind of 
hardcore pivot of the business. You know, Twitter's been working on a plan to turn itself into a decentralized protocol that could enable um, a variety of uh, developers to build different uh, sort of Twitter experiences. Maybe you could choose the level of content moderation you wanted, um, and maybe Twitter would sell access to the API for that. Um, but is is that a $44 billion business? I don't know. So um, to me, th- those seem like the three most obvious options for him to pursue. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to see an electric Twitter car. Electric Twitter car. Okay. Uh, Bill, what do you think? They're, is it a promising company that just never has gotten the right care and love? Or is it just way too late, especially with TikTok, you know, sort of running circles around them and, and Facebook and others, but Snapchat's done a very nice job sort of uh, developing itself over time and trying to do innovative things like around AR, et cetera. Well, look, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people go to Twitter as a place to, you know, immediately kind of find out what's going on, right? News. You know, what, news. But news and zeitgeist, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. just seems to, you know, suck up both those things. And then, you know, there's this sort of quasi- amusing debate i i don't find it uh enlightening in the least and you know, most of the time it's downright mean and, and and pathetic uh so but you know it doesn't really matter what i think uh but i think more more, more importantly is that the, the elon you know he, he's said he doesn't really care if this makes a profit but i think that is uh another sort of head fake of of his because he has to Care. Getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, mm-hmm. he has to care if this thing makes a profit because, okay, first of all, he's borrowed billions of loans, which he has to pay back. And, and that's, you know, you know, five, five cents a year. I don't know what it, of interest a year. That's, I think there's already four billion of existing debt. I mean, he's only got a billion dollars in EBITDA, you know, and then he's got to pay this back. So he's got to pay these loans back. Uh, he's also got this margin loan of another 12 and a half billion. That he has to pay back, which is of course tied to his Tesla stock. So, I mean, if this thing. So, so what's the business? What's the business? Well, I mean, I that I mean, Carrie, he's got to figure that out. He hasn't articulated what the business is, but it has. He the answer is it can't be that he doesn't care about profits because if he doesn't care about profits, he's going to lose not only uh, a Twitter because the banks will take it back. He's going to lose Tesla too. Not that Tesla's going to go away, but he, his ownership in Tesla, he's going to lose because the banks are going to take that, too, because of margin calls. So he has to figure out a business plan that makes money. And that means I think, he, you know, he can't alienate, you know, two thirds right. of the people who use it by bringing back Donald Trump and Alex Jones and all those hateful people. Right. So, all right. so, so let me just ask really quickly. Give me one business you haven't named. What should it be? And we're going to bring Anand on in a second. But give me one business, your last name. That he could do. Casey, help me out here, buddy. <laughs> sure, sure. So, so here's an idea. Um, and, and Bill, maybe you've seen this and can comment on it. Um, there's been some talk that I, I guess what's actually going to acquire um, Twitter is some sort of you know entity that might be called X Holdings. Um, yeah. Is it possible that Elon builds some kind of next generation conglomerate that includes? Tesla, SpaceX, and Twitter, and you can essentially hide Twitter's operating losses inside this massive conglomerate. So it never actually has to make any money because you can just run it off of Tesla profits forever. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of that for a number of reasons. I mean, not that it couldn't be done, but I, I don't know. Does SpaceX make money? I assume that doesn't make any money. Tesla is, of course, starting to make money and, and will probably has enough leverage. And, and I mean, like operating leverage so that it will uh, make uh, start to make a lot of money. But, you know, Tesla has its own debt and its own investors. Uh, SpaceX probably has its own debt and its own investors. Boring company has its own debt and its own investors. And, of course, now Twitter has its own investors, Elon, and its own uh, debt and creditors. I don't see how you put all that together under one roof, except in a very, very complicated way that requires all sorts of waivers from creditors or refinancings. It's never going to happen. I think he really needs to come up with a business plan that makes money. Business plan for this. How do companies, social media uh, networks, platforms make money. You're the expert. They, they're in that. Facebook. They're Facebook. That's what they do to make money. They, well, then it sounds like ads. Back. They need more ads. Yes, exactly. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Elon Musk, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with me, Casey, Anand, and Bill after the break. This podcast is supported by Merge. Planning on adding integrations to your product in 2024? Merge can help. Merge's API allows your developers to integrate once to offer hundreds of product integrations across key software categories. Merge maintains your integrations for you and provides tooling to make it easy for your customer success team to manage your integrations without engineering. Go to merge.dev hardfork to learn more about Merge and to get $5,000 off your choice of an annual plan. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going, if you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with a first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car, I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer, no more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, check in with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. Go ahead, Anand, how you doing? De-mic de yourself, how you doing? So we've been I'm talking great. about what a disastrous business uh, Bill has been filling us in, um, that it is. So perhaps he's uh, he's bought something that is not as valuable as he thinks it is. Um, talk a little bit about what you wrote about and you know, a lot of people have been sort of, I, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to use the term pearl clutching that this is the end of civilization. Um, it is not, I don't feel it is because I think the business is really stressed. Um, talk a little bit about your thoughts on this. Um, you know, I, I think the question of whether it's a viable business or not is a, in some ways a question about him and whether he's going to be able to pull this project off. And that's an important question. I, I think I'm more focused on the question of us and what effect this might have 
on us. And and as I see it, if you look at Twitter from the outside, if you if you talk to well-meaning people who work there, there are a handful of problems that company has that to a to a certain degree they have been earnestly trying to address. Um, and I in the piece uh, from today I highlighted they, they have a, a racism problem that they have put out statements about and tried to deal with and try to figure out how do you deal with Nazism and hate speech on the platform? How do you, you know, reflect the discourse people are having without allowing yourself to be a platform for uh, for white supremacist hate? Um, they have a, uh, a problem of abuse and harassment, um, which, again, they've put out statements. They've said they're trying to deal with. It's not not adequate. Um, and, and they have a problem of disinformation and misinformation, COVID, climate, other things. Again, they've tried to address these things. They've talked about this as a problem. And what is interesting about Elon Musk is that if you were trying to find a new owner who incarnated all the strategic problems you already have and have told the world you have and are wrestling with, what a what a remarkable example of finding a new owner to answer all these questions, to be in, in a way in charge of answering these questions. Who is the incarnation of each of these problems? Whether it is being a bullying harasser as your dominant mode of operating on the platform in a way that's really just fundamentally different from any super rich person we've seen. Um, having these, as you know, uh, charges in California, very serious charges uh, launched by the state of California, that Tesla operates not just an awkward, uh, awkwardly racist or uncomfortably racist workspace, but a segregated workplace, segregated. And I'm not sure how often we have read in any recent state suit against a corporation that the workplace was segregated. Uh, that's a relatively, thankfully, rare word in, in 2022. Um, and then on disinformation, this is someone who, uh, again, unlike, you know, the Bill Gates, who I'm critical of and, and, and others, has routinely put out disinformation in the way the SEC has gone after, who, is, who has routinely put out mis- and disinformation. And so I think it's this incredible example of the person who is now charged uh, with answering the question of how can Twitter be less racist? How can Twitter fight disinformation? How can Twitter deal with harassment and abuse? The fox is now in charge of the hen house. The person who incarnates these problems in the public mind is now the person who gets to define the search for solutions to those problems. Uh, and I think that's incredibly problematic, not for him, but for us. Casey? I mean, I think, Anand, you're laying it on a little thick. Like, I, th I think that, uh, you know, Elon has definitely done a lot of problematic stuff, but to suggest that, like, he's the avatar for all misinformation and disinformation in the world, like, come on, man. Did I say that? Did I say he's the avatar for all misinformation? Yes, misinformation? you said that if you could choose anyone in the world to represent Twitter's misinformation and disinformation problem, you would choose him. I would choose Steve Bannon, but go ahead. Keep going. Go ahead. I, I'm talking about people who, are, who could actually buy and run this company. Right. It's a okay. very small all right. All right. pool so of I, people. I, I think I'm just saying they've been thinking about their future for a while. It's fascinating that the person they've landed on... Uh, is not just a neutral figure, but is someone who embodies uh, what they have admitted is problematic about their own platform. 
All right, Casey, question for Anna. Um, well, um, I guess what what are you, what are you looking for, Anand? Like as he becomes the CEO, like wh which policies will you be? Uh, looking for his positions on to sort of um, give you an early indicator of how he's going to run run the ship. And by the way, he's made a number of statements already today and yesterday. I, I think the most interesting question has to do with this phrase "free speech," which is everywhere on this question, right? And there is a meaning of the term free speech that. You know, everyone in this discussion learned about in school and that is kind of captured by the First Amendment and is and is um, the kind of common parlance that we that we understand that that term by. Um, and then there is a as 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 you know, very well, Casey, from covering these things, there's like a second meaning that has emerged that is like free speech in quotes. That is a coded dog whistle. Fox News. If I were to have a conversation with Steve Bannon right now, since someone brought up Steve Bannon, and Steve Bannon were to talk about free speech, I think we would all understand he's talking about a more specific and different thing. And what that coded dog whistle thing that is on the right that I spent kind of all day today having written this piece, you know, dealing with from Newsmax and that whole infrastructure on the right, that meaning is really about pushing back against the advent of frankly, pretty modest, toothless content moderation that has belatedly, too little too late, started to address the problems of hate speech and abuse and harassment um, and, and to an extent, disinformation on the platform. There have been, you know, efforts to, to finally catch up with uh, what, you know, several of us in this room have written about for a long time before they were doing anything. Uh, so they're now doing a little bit. Right. And it has become a catchword on the right to say that this is a threat to free speech, dealing with the fact that everyone uh, in a certain kind of faction on the far right uh, answered any Jewish person with an opinion for a certain period of time in the early Trump presidency with oven memes. The effort to actually deal with that, because a lot of us in this room probably reported those tweets. I did, and I'm sure a lot of you did. And I'm sure a lot of you didn't get a positive answer when you reported right. those tweets. I yeah. certainly didn't. Well, one uh, of the issues one one of the issues of Twitter is is they had rules, but they were not enforced, or they were capriciously. And capriciously, is he has made it quite clear mm -hmm. that his interest is in beating back those attempts to actually make it a safer platform. And so, when I think about free speech, I think about the fact that the First Amendment as a piece of law, as a piece of the Constitution, has been in place since the 18th century. Um, but a whole lot of people, most Americans, most types of them, you know, most certainly women, people of color, a whole bunch of people, um, didn't have a, much of a chance to speak in a whole bunch of important ways in that entire 200 plus year history. It wasn't the First Amendment that was stopping them. They had a constitutional right to speak all that time, but that didn't get them op-ed columns in the New York Times until very recently. That didn't get them chances to speak in any of a number of ways. There were other forces in the society right. crowding out people from so, speaking. And now as we're finally starting to address that, it is very interesting that someone like Elon Musk and many people on the right uh, view that kind of effort to redress 
hate, redress crowding out of hate speech uh, as the fundamental threat to open speech. Sorry, Bill, you were going to jump in? Well, uh, the, the only thing I would say is that people can vote with their feet here. Uh, that's still an option, even if Elon Musk owns Twitter. And again, it's not a done deal yet. As we were talking about, he can walk away for a billion dollars, and he just might, especially if the Tesla stock keeps falling. But people can vote with their feet. If they don't like what he's about to turn Twitter into, I suggest everybody just blow out of this thing. Blow out and find some other way to communicate. There are certainly plenty of other ways. We basically have, none of us have paid anything for this service, right? We use it for free. Mm -hmm. We're not tied to it. Uh, you know, we've got some followers, which, you know, you could, I mean, you know, I, I'm a person, you know, with a new book coming out. And so, of course, I, I want to see if I can, you know, use this platform to encourage people to buy my book. But other than that, you know, forget it. I, you know, I can live without it. I certainly live most of my life without it. And if he wrecks it, then not only can we walk, but he'll be the king of nothing. He'll have paid $44 All right. so billion. What do you think about nothing. that, Anand? Because obviously Twitter has been an important platform for a lot of people, but it is small. Besides being a kind of a shitty business, it's also small. It doesn't hit that many people. And it is sort of the playground of the right and left and in terms of yelling at each other and things like that. So it doesn't have as big a footprint as maybe people are on it think. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's as big as certain other things. I, you know, I don't think it's Amazon, you know, when you're talking mm -hmm. about market power and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I like and, and respect my, my friend Bill. I think, that's an, I think there's nothing th theoretically wrong with what he's saying. I, mean, I think we, we certainly have the freedom to do what he's saying, uh, you know, um, and it's not, you know, it's not like restocking your house with groceries every day, every day. And that like we could all nothing, you know, awful would, would happen mm -hmm. to our, to most of our lives. And there may be some people who are professionally dependent on it in a, in a particular way. That said, um, you know, there are network effects, um, with any, uh, internet thing like this that make it a little bit hard. And, and I would say, you know, what is your example? I mean, we've now had 25-ish years of these kinds of technologies. Um, we've had slow deaths of things and, and sudden rises of things. And you all know this better than I do, but what is an example of like a sudden, like, let's not go to this club anymore, let's go to that club anymore, successful migration of a very large number of people? My impression is a lot of people just get lost in the in the transition, no, it's a very hard no, thing to organize. AOL to Facebook or whatever. You could, there's lots of things like that, actually. But let me, but let how me ask you what we're talking about. Well, it happened faster than they thought it would happen for sure. And by the way, AOL is still sticking around, incredibly speaking. It is. Um, so I still get those CDs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have so, so many of them. Um, so, and then last thing, judging from what he has said so far, one of the things you and I have talked about a lot is ownership of these platforms by wealthy people, the consolidation, a small group of people controlling speech in some way, controlling whatever, commerce speech, whatever. Many, many, many media companies have been owned by billionaires for a long, long, long time, like not, forever, really. Um, how do you look at, 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 this, at that idea of the consolidation under a single owner and taking it private and the, and the continued domination 
of billionaires in this regard, again, which I don't think is anything new. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think you're totally right. And it is not that, and some people have gotten this wrong. This is not like a transition from wonderful, lovely, benign ownership of Twitter to terrible. It is, you know, from one kind of problematic to another, but I would argue more problematic. I think the private, public to private is a, is, you know, increases the level of problematic. I mean, we have a pretty elaborate regulatory apparatus and transparency apparatus in this country around publicly traded companies that kind of goes out the window. Um, but it's also, you know, I, I, I like to take these folks at their word. Uh, you know, Elon Musk in the TED interview recently described Twitter as, in his opinion, the global town square. Uh, I take him at his word that that's how he sees it. I think that's a, you know, although it may not have the user numbers to reflect that point of view, um, I think it does have that kind of power over the kind of rolling public consciousness of the world, setting news agendas. You know, when uh, I know this for a fact, when journalists in India wake up uh, and decide, you know, at 9 a.m. India time, uh, midnight after the kind of news cycle has ended here, uh, New York time, what is what is the story of the day? They're looking at Twitter. They used to look at the AP feed or they used to look at, you know, some ticker tape. They're now, they mm-hmm. use Twitter. So it has a power that is kind of maybe belied by its numbers. Okay. Um, and, and I think that kind of power is going to be incredibly important to scrutinizing, be incredibly dangerous. When mm-hmm. imagine some reporter for the Washington Post who works on Jeff Bezos' payroll, uh, has a book come out every few years that Jeff Bezos is the leading seller of. The main distribution platform for that reporter's articles and books is is Twitter or maybe occasionally Facebook or Instagram. Uh, one right. other guy. Um, yeah. It's a it's a suffocating world. Yeah, I would agree. But let me just say, Jeff Bezos doesn't like this deal. <laughs> he tweeted it. Anyway, uh, and tried to backpedal, but not a very good job. I think he purposely did this. All right, Anand, where do you see this coming out? Where are you? Obviously, you're worried, and you should be. Um, What is your prediction, I guess? And then, Bill, I'd love your prediction. You seem to be saying this might not happen. But Anand first, and then uh, uh, then Bill, and I'll finish with Casey. I I, I would kind of assume that he would be able to pull it off, but although uh, I'm familiar with some of the, the points folks have made about why there's still a road ahead. Um, you know, rather than predict, let me let me say one thing that might affect those odds, which I think mm-hmm. would be a great idea, uh, which is a union. Um, we have seen in Amazon and on Staten Island recently a remarkable and and improbable union victory, and there's it's kind of in the air right now. Um, there has been talk about this at Twitter, as there has elsewhere. But I think it would be fascinating to to think about a unionization drive at Twitter right now. Folks have already been talking about it today, tweeting about it, thinking about, you know, first of all, this might frankly discourage him to the extent that he still has some decision space around this. But second of all, to the extent that he takes ownership, um, rather than have him as the kind of Louis the 14th with a, with a bunch of disparate employees, it'd be great if there was an organized concerted, um, union representing Twitter employees as they go into these fights that might be emerging about 
what speech to to un, kind of undam, uh, what forces mm-hmm. to enable, uh, rather than have you know a few thousand disparate folks fighting that fight. Uh, this might okay. be the moment to start organizing something more more concerted and solid. Wow. No word goes to the heart of a tech person more than union tech leader. Okay, uh, Bill, your prediction? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, there was the euphoria sort of from the Elon Musk camp, the Morgan Stanley camp, you know, yesterday when uh, he reached a merger agreement uh, with the board. Uh, there were a lot of doubters out there. People didn't think he'd get the financing together. People thought somebody else would come in. People thought the bid was too low. And I'm sorry to be like an M&A guy here, but uh, so I think that dissipated a little bit with the with the actual merger agreement that says that, hey, I can I can walk away for by paying a billion dollars, which for normal, normal people, you know, would be a lot of money. But for Elon Musk, as we know, it's not. So if the Tesla stock just continues in free fall, and I would say being down 12 percent today constitutes yes, free troubling. fall. Look what right. happened to Netflix, that, Netflix stock. No Netflix, one thought right. that would if, decline. And no there probably aren't a lot of margin loans out there tied to the Netflix stock. If the stock continues to fall and, yeah. and free fall, then I bet he walks away and pays the billion dollars because he's not going to, you know, he's and, not going to risk everything. And what happens to Twitter? What happens to Twitter then? It, it just goes back to being, oh, never mind. It goes back to being a public company and, uh, you know, no, nothing will have, changed and maybe they'll do some of the things we've been talking about here that Anand has been so eloquently talking about tonight. Casey, your prediction. I I guess my prediction is if the acquisition does go through that eventually Elon does find value in in content moderation because if he doesn't, he's going to have a user exodus on his hands and that's not going to be good for him. Yeah. All right. My last question is I'm kind of with Bill. I was I, I followed Bill last time and I think there's a lot of trouble ahead if uh like I said, it's a good day to announce an Apple car. That could really that could be cause a lot of problems. And so um there's a lot of challenges for Elon. He is this is the bet of his life. Um and it's not uh, for the faint of heart. He does not have a faint heart and we'll see where it goes. But I really appreciate you all. Anand, thank you so much. Uh, please read Anand's piece in the uh, in the Times. It's terrific. Uh, I'm sorry you're getting um, so attacked for, uh, for it. I, uh, Bill, thank you so much. Read Bill at Puck. Um, and Casey Newton, of course, uh, with Platformer News. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naeem Araza, Blakeney Schick, Daphne Chen, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. With original music by Isaac Jones and mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Sabaro. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, Christina Samuluski, and Lyriel Higa of Twitter. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, Along with ideas of what else you can buy for $44 billion, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself, What would kids do? Then pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com.